Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please, everyone, sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a massive thank you to my last guest, Ren Martinez, was a great guest and a great episode. And if you have not heard our very in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 228, and we have a fantastic episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Trisha Lafarge. Now, Trisha is an actress best known for her roles in Garden State, the God's Not Dead films, and the hit show Jury Duty. Trisha will be discussing how she got into acting, her various roles, some great stories on jury duty, and also will be discussing some hot-button issues in Hollywood. Trisha is a firecracker of a guest and one of my favorite people to talk to, so let's get her out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, calling in today from her home in Los Angeles, California, Trisha Lafarge. Trisha, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? Oh, God, it's gorgeous. I just got back to L.A. from, uh, I was in Logan, which is right outside Salt Lake City, and I was directing a play, and the weather there was bipolar. And so now I am back in Los Angeles where it is very even-keeled and about 81 degrees, so it's wonderful. Nice. So with the pandemic coming to an end, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? Well, when the world shut down, I was actually in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was shadowing James Roday on, as a director on an episode of The Resident. I was having one of the best times of my life. And that morning, the news from LA was, you know, all of projection shutting down, shutting down, shutting down, shutting down. And in Atlanta, everybody was like, what do you mean, COVID what? And so, you know, it was a very, by the end of the day, not only was production shut down, but they had shut the production down for the rest of the season. So I think that that's a, 
a mini example of, you know, how it felt for me, which was just very, you know, zero to 1000, you know, immediately and every day wondering kind of when it was going to end, which now kind of has parallels to the writer's strike, to be honest, because everyone is throwing out guesses as to when the writer's strike will end, if the actors are going to strike. It just feels like very arbitrary the way it felt when we were first all kind of doing Zoom happy hours and guessing when we would get you know back into society. All right. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? Oh, gosh. I'm from Utica, New York. Where are you from? I'm from Great Britain. Oh, because I was going to say, I saw Wales on your uh, website. Mm -hmm. And I grew up, so I'm from Utica, New York, which is pin the tail on the center of New York. Having spent college and law school and post-law school career living in New York City, whenever anyone hears that I'm from Utica, they always say, oh, that you're, that's way up there. And I'm like, no, it's actually the center of New York, but get your geography straight. Oh, I'm just kidding. So I am Italian-American. My mother is 100% Italian. My father is half, but his other half is Welsh, mm. which I did not know growing up because my nanny assimilated so much to my papa's culture, but I am Welsh. Yeah. So what was it like growing up there? It was... I mean, it was great. Like, I I feel like I'm not the type of person that would ever lead with negative things about the place where I'm from because it's such a huge part of who I am. And the people there are uh, a huge part of, you know, where I get my humor, my sarcasm. People in Utica are hysterical, by far the funniest people I've ever met and great sense of humor, always joking on each other, ribbing each other. When I was growing up, it was very, I loved the fact that I was not, did not grow up in like a homogenized society. You know, I think that that very much informed who I am as well. And there's a lot of great Italian restaurants in Utica and the, the leaves are gorgeous in the fall. Yeah, it was cool. Also, I was a super, super serious ballerina. So I had the benefit, not to say the benefit to anybody else, but for my life, I danced with uh, summer programs that were like six to eight weeks long in other cities, like with the San Francisco Ballet, Boston Ballet, New York City Ballet, Pittsburgh Ballet. So I had a time out of Utica and I had something that, you know, to compare it to. So you got the acting bug at a young age. What sort of roles were you getting at that young age? Well, it's very funny because I just, like I said, I was directing a play right now in, in uh, Utah, northern Utah. And my, I told my sister, I said, oh, I, I was in tech. And I said, I have to get back to the theater. I have to get back to the black box. And she joked. She said, oh, is Dr. Slayton there? Because Dr. Slayton was our theater teacher when we were kids. And my my first show was Annie. And even though I'm redheaded, I didn't play Annie because I was young. I played Molly, but I also ended up choreographing all of the dances for the show, including the adults dances. Cause I didn't think that my director had had that covered, even though he really was an excellent teacher, but I did play a place like uh, old King Malfi, really rosy snow white, the seven dwarves, Tons of stuff. And then I really, really got so into ballet that I didn't have time to um, act as much. 
when I was a kid. Fair enough. So when did you get your formal acting education? Well, I think a big part of it was growing up in an Italian family. We have very high stakes, like we're on a multi-camera sitcom. But I would say also, I, Dr. Slayton, when I was a kid in Herkimer, uh, Herkimer, New York. And then I went to college and I had a, a teacher named Bill Leone, who probably, you know, taught me the most that out of all of my acting teachers in the program that I was in in college, I even took some classes with him postgraduate. Just we, the group of us that loved him so much, invited him down to New York City to teach us to, like a special like Shakespeare workshop. And then I studied with John Gould Rubin at the Labyrinth Theater Company, which at the time was run by Philip Seymour Hoffman and the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman, I should say, and John Ortiz. And through the lab, we learned a lot as well. Hmm. Now you've been an acting coach. To some, to some notable celebrities, what do you enjoy most about teaching? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. I love teaching because when I was younger, I did not think that you could teach acting. I actually thought that, you know, you either kind of had it or you didn't. And I learned a way to change my mind about that, I would say, in the sense of that I've seen such amazing growth in, you know, certain actors that I've worked with. And that's really fun. Uh, the other thing is, I think um, I'm just really, really have always been very much into text analysis. And I don't think that I was taught text analysis the way that I learned to teach it. And I love to figure out what the writer intended and to show the actor that they can be both have their own special sauce but you know i would i'm just very very against lead like your instincts are wonderful and you need them and strong instincts are amazing but not being able to understand what's on the page and what the genre requires and what the writer wants to see especially in television because even though some streamers don't have commercials the uh scripts are still written to have like commercial breaks and so much how much story do you have to push per segment and i i love the idea of teaching actors how to understand that and uh, yeah fair enough all right so when i told my listeners you were coming on the show i asked them to submit some questions and i got a few back and they were all the same question okay and they all want to know what are your favorite memories working on garden state Oh my God. So working on Garden State was just an absolute and total blast. So Garden State was my first job ever. And, um, you know, back then they would send a car for you in New York City to pick you up, to take you to the location, which felt so fancy. You know, I was like, holy crap, I'm Reese Witherspoon, you know? So, um, <laughs> And then it was, you know, I, I believe it was only like day three of shooting and it was Zach Braff's first time being a director. So he got a lot of coverage on that scene. You know, we shot the entire day. There was nothing else on the docket for that day. And um, it was just really fun because we were all playing around like they didn't they didn't, you know, tell Amy Ferguson and I to kiss. They didn't tell, you know, it was just all kind of organic. It almost felt like we were fucked up, even though we were not fucked up. We were 
totally sober, but it just felt, you know, it was just very, you know, energetic. But I, my favorite memory of that whole thing, two things, Natalie Portman at the rap party walked up to me and said, no, no, at the premiere, she said, oh my God, you know, all my friends keep asking me about the hot girl in Garden State and that's you. And I was like, did Natalie fucking Portman just call me hot? Like, <laughs> so, you know, that was awesome. But so, you know how they say all press is good press as long as you spell my name right? Right. So my character's name in Garden State is Kelly and my name is Trisha. And so when the credits rolled, it said Kelly dot, 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 you know, played by Kelly LaFroche, which is not my name. <laughs> it's nowhere close to my name. So when we were walking out of the theater, I believe we were in Chelsea, Zach walked up to me, he goes, oh my God, what did you think the movie? I said, you're probably me wrong. I was like, my grandmother's gonna lose her mind. And she was like, he, he was like, I swear to you, I will get it fixed by the second print. And he did. And I was like, what? so by the time I went to see it, it was released and I went to see it with my family in upstate. It's it had my real name properly spelled. So That's I will amazing. say that was one of my favorite memories because I tend to be that girl who's like, I don't, I always say what I think and I try to be diplomatic, but because I'm Italian and from New York, I think a lot of times it doesn't sound as diplomatic as I think it does in my head, but Zach <laughs> totally got it. And he wasn't like, you know, Thanks a lot for dampering my evening. You know, my manager was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I was like, no, 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 no. You know, so that's my best memory. Now you've appeared in all three of the God's Not Dead films. No, no, just what, the first two. Just the first two. Okay, no, sorry. Your ID said all three. I do apologize. Really? Yeah. No, first two. Okay, yeah. all right. What about the films attracted you to the project so much? Oh. Well, I had a really great conversation with the director harry cronk before i went to new orleans to shoot the first one and i was you know kind of really stoked to play this character who was kind of closed off and hardened and then had something really horrible happen to her and then which what i thought was the end of the movie that just like a little like a, a a little bit of her heart opened up again. And I thought that that was really interesting. I didn't really realize that I was gonna have to be like bawling my eyes out crying in the dead of summer in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, which is not easy to do. And also like the, what, what that would be like to like, you know, I'm, you know, live in the, in the, the cancer diagnosis and, and such like that, you know, for, for a summer. The second one, um, I was excited to work with Melissa Joan Hart and I wanted the money. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so you ventured into directing several projects becoming critically acclaimed. What do you enjoy about directing so much? Another great question. So I, I write, act and direct. And whenever, you know, uh, people are like, well, what do you like the best? Or what do you do? Da, 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 which I know is not your question. So I'm not accusing you of that. I always think about my friend, James Roday, who I referenced earlier, who was the lead of psych and the lead of a million little things, but he wrote and directed on those. And I do feel like, you know, with a dude, nobody ever asks you to pick a lane, you know, but with a girl, they're like, okay, like figure it out. 
for me, it's like when I'm writing, I like writing the best. When I'm acting, I like acting the best. And when I'm directing, I love directing the best. But to see what you want come together, there is a certain kind of, well, obviously control, even though ultimately that's all in the hands of the editor. But there is just a certain kind of joy that when you are able to communicate what you would like to see, not just obviously to the actors, which because I'm an acting coach is very easy for me, but to communicate to all this highly skilled technicians. And sometimes even when they think, you know, um, they can't, you know, oh, with our limited, you know, the resources we have in the room, you know, that might be tough. And you're like, no, no, you know, because a lot of times I tend to trust them and, and you know, but when every so often you just pick those certain things that you fight for and you say, no, let's try this. I think that's one of the really, really satisfying things uh, to see all of that come together. Six Andrew Cubans has won top honors at several comedy film festivals. What is it like to take a film like that on the festival circuit and see it do so well? Well, it was awesome. Ali Acosta, who is the writer and star of the film, who hired me to come on and uh, direct an EP with her, is um, she started off as my student and then we became collaborators and we're amazing friends. And just like her energy and her attitude and excitement um, was amazing. And when we went to, we took it to um, the HBO Latino Festival, we got to the final round, which we didn't win, which I think we should have, to be honest, because I saw the films. Ah, rude. <laughs> but that was, you know, also just like, a, first of all, this is a funny story. So it was in Palm Springs and it was Halloween and we were encouraged to dress up. And I love Halloween. Like, I love dressing up. It's, you know, my, one of my favorite things to do. But I told Allie, I was like, I'm not dressing up for this film festival. I'm way too cool. Like, what if, and you know, we're the only people who are dressed up. And she was like, no, 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 it's gonna be amazing. You're gonna be Jessica Rabbit and Roger, and I'm gonna be uh, Jasmine. And and uh, turned out we were the only people who were dressed up on the red carpet. But we didn't. It ended up not mattering. And then it was such an easy icebreaker for the rest of the weekend to talk to everybody because they were like, "Jessica Rabbit, Jasmine," you know. But um, it, it was it was wonderful to see the response. I mean, that's to hear people laugh at jokes that you set up. Like in the sense that obviously, when you're acting and you hear people laugh at your stuff, that's an amazing feeling. But like also as a director, when you know you noted it that way, or you set up that shot, or like they weren't going to do that, and then you hear like like ah, you know. Um, so it's awesome. It's awesome. That's amazing. Okay, Devon Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here. But we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Trisha Lafarge. Miss, just you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right, Caluso style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Pay attention to a few friends of my show and we will be right back. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. 
Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek DeBall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Show. Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duval Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. 
I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 228 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with actress Trisha Lafarge. What's it like to work on jury duty? Wow, jury duty was, you know, lightning in a bottle. It was it was a singularly spiritual experience. And it was terrifying every day because it was much more like theater than it was like film because we had no action or cut you know i walked into the courtroom every day as my character i walked out of the courtroom every day as my character and my, i we the people that you know i worked with our, our showrunner cody heller our eps nicholas hatton director jake zismanski head writer andrew weinberg producer like they were just the nicest most encouraging most collaborative people and the funny thing is it wasn't until the show premiered that i they were like we did not think this was going to work. And I was like, holy y'all are the best actors because they never showed it. You know, even though like we'd have a meeting every morning to go over like what happened yesterday and how the day was going to go, you know, moving forward. But no matter what happened, they were, you know, shaken nor stirred. And um, it was just wild. And I'll say when I auditioned for the show, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing auditioning for. I was asked to write a monologue and perform a monologue um, arguing why John Wilkes Booth was not guilty of assassinating Abraham Lincoln. And I made this whole argument about how eyewitness testimony is inherently unreliable and Mary Todd Lincoln was the only eyewitness and all the stress she's been under and she had a sanitarium visit and you know her, her son had just died, so don't put her on the stand because if she does, I'll shred her. And if you don't put her on the stand, you have no case. And so somehow that was enough for them to cast me, which was a huge blessing. And, but I didn't know what it was. I did not, no one knew, we didn't really know. I mean, they kept this in the dark, I gotta say, as much as they possibly could for as long as they possibly could. But then, you know, once I got the first outline, and I looked down at and I read it and I said, oh, my God, if anybody sees this, everyone is going to see this. I was like, I had no idea if anyone would see it because of the freebie of it all and the, you know, it's very small production. But I was like, this is magical. And then when we started rehearsal and I saw how funny everybody was and how free everybody was and how we became a family instantly because we had two weeks of rehearsals before we started shooting. And then, you know, Ronald showed up and he was exactly what they were looking for. You know, they wanted somebody who was not going to be the butt of the joke. They want, they didn't want somebody who was going to be punched down on. They wanted somebody who they could make a hero's journey, you know, as close to kind of Jim from the office as you could possibly <laughs> get. And we got it, which is crazy. But those actors, I mean, just working with everybody and we had obviously you know i had six and a half hours of court a day sometimes maybe a little bit less 
but I had, I think, based 12 witnesses and 28 pieces of evidence, which was a lot of stuff and it all gets shrunk down. And so there, I mean, there are so many funny bits that you guys didn't even get to see that it's it's crazy. But the show itself, I've never been more proud of anything that I was lucky enough to be a part of ever in my life. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you said, I was making a comment to someone earlier today about uh, John Krasinski. And it's like, someone said to me today, it was like, John Krasinski could go and cure cancer, but he'll yeah. still always be Jim from Jim from the office. That's all he'll ever be known as, Jim from the office. It's so funny because I have such respect for those guys, and I never really, don't tell my bosses, really, really watched The Office. Right. Um, but since the show and its success, I've started watching The Office. And I just have been traveling quite a bit because I, I was in Salt Lake, and I, I went to Europe the summer for a little bit, came back. So, and I just watched The Office nonstop. And I'm like, holy, it's funny. Like, they are funny. And he's not the funniest. And I get no. that feeling because I wanted to, I, you know, I, my character isn't the most hilarious, but my, you know, my director was always like, you're the reason why he's here. Like, Ronald would be like, this is crazy, but she's real. And she means it. And so it's, you know, it's kind of that thing, like, there's a reason why there's a bass section in the band. You know, because you have to have that, you know, and so I did, I did have a lot more jokes than actually are in the show, but I knew I was a straight man and I knew I had to play that role, but like, I, you know, watching everybody else be hilarious, but then I was just like, I can't be wacky at all because if I am, he's going to be like, oh, okay, we're out of here. You know, like I'm not, cause he's a really smart guy. It's yeah. not like, he, you know, he's, he's smart and he's also street smart. He's not the uh, naive. So I just think that I also think there's a small part of Ronald that was having so much fun with not just with James Morrison, who's also amazing, but like with Edie and David and Mackie and Ishmael hanging out after core and with you know everybody else at court that he kind of suspended his disbelief because he definitely did not know. And at the beginning, when everybody was texting me, oh, he fucking knew, I was like, I will fight a motherfucker who says he knew. I was getting so mad because it's such a um, disrespect to the work we put in. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it, I understand that reality shows are fake, but I don't consider our show a reality show at all. I consider it a half hour comedy that has a strong reality component to it, mm -hmm. you know? That's fair enough. Because right, the viewers did such a good job creating all these relationships and storylines that exist irrespective of Ronald. You know, it's not just like, let's just see what happens. You know, like, yes, we had to bring our own, you know, stuff to it, but there was, there were beats we had to hit and they thought of everything. I want to switch gears real quick. Uh, kind of a serious question. And, you know, as an actress in Hollywood, how far do you think the Me Too movement has come? Oh gosh, Ooh. the Me Too movement. Listen, it's like, I know that you have to like identify something as something, you know, I'm not the biggest label person. So I have to like, remember that that's what the origin was because to me, it's just like what's fair and like just, you know, equality. But I will say that I wanna be articulate because I have, a, I obviously have, a, I have a lot to say about this, but I think that there is a, the younger 
it's it's it feels good you know to be on set with a lot of the younger guys who came up in the culture in the last five or six years because they have less i'm just gonna say less especially just coming from utah but um they have less of a mindset of you know not listening to women and not you know regarding our opinions equally as they would a man so i think that there's a lot of growth i think it's difficult for you know people my father's age or you know around you know to 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 do the learning curve as quickly as other people would like and the thing is is that you know it's it obviously wasn't everybody but it's very sad when i look back at things that we just thought were normal acceptable part of the business something you have to put up with if you want to be in the business and you just kind of your coping mechanism just tends to just deal and and so even for me to be like oh like even you know i went to law school and i was the only girl who was a female federal criminal defense attorney who was definitely of my age at the time there was it was such a boys club but i wasn't afraid to do that and the reason you know because i went straight from law school to work for a defense firm and i didn't end up going into the da's office or legal aid i was very young but I wasn't, I still wasn't afraid to do that, but I still had, you know, judges pull my ponytail. I had, uh, you know, clerks tell me to stand in the defendant's row and the bailiff be like, no, 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 she's the attorney, like slide over, you know. Um, but I wasn't afraid to do that. But with the film and television culture, it was, I will say even scarier because it's, you know, think about on a film set, all men grips and all men lighting designers and all men, you know, and the only people that weren't men were costumes and makeup. And then once you left the safety of their trailer, you were kind of out on your own and you had to rely on a man that if you had something happen to you, that they would take you seriously and they would try to fix it and they would at least hear you out, you know, but it's great to see it be a little bit more mixed and and to see you know a lot of the people that hire me to direct their stuff are producers who only want women on set which i don't think is also necessary do you know what i'm saying i like yeah. the energy of us all working together but it is fun to have a female dp and a female first ac and then maybe a male gaffer but you know just so that it's not like all girls but I will say it's it's not fair to generalize because the two people who really, really pushed me into finding my voice as a director are both men. And they're both happen to be straight men. And the the DP that pushed me into being a director shot me in a little horror movie that's actually not bad, but never came out called Demon Lake. And he was the DP and I was the number one on the call sheet. And just like, I guess the way as an actor, I moved with the camera and like understood, you know, what was going on in the room. He, you know, really encouraged me, you need, to, you need to direct, you need to direct, you need to direct. And then we ended up only doing one project together. 
And it was one of my favorite sets. So it's sometimes just the person, obviously, you know, like if the, if the man isn't a misogynist, then you're not going to have a problem. But also sometimes misogyny is just not a thing that people are aware that they have. They think they don't have it in some cases, you know, so it's a tough, very loaded, very loaded issue. That's a great answer, though. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Dekubaton said the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. You get a chance to talk to your younger self. What do you say to her? Oh, God. You're hilarious. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> um, and I love you. And I think just keep doing what you're doing, man, and just be kind. Be kind. Yes. So what's next for Trisha? Well... Right now, I just finished this uh, open this play that I, that I was doing in, in Utah. And I think we're going to try to bring it to Hollywood. I just finished directing a co-directing a music video with one of my very best friends, um, India DeBeaufort, who's on Night Court. I'm looking forward to that coming out. And my husband and I have a bunch of projects. Um, we have a podcast that is completed, but it's a, it's a true crime podcast because I didn't, I did a true crime uh, podcast previously with a, a, a guy that I've collaborated with before. And then my husband and I have one that we are just about to bring out. And then hopefully, you know, I'll be back on TV soon as an actor because, um, you know, a lot of stuff is slowed really, really, really slowed down because of the strike and, mm -hmm. I wouldn't even mind playing a lawyer again, to be honest. Um, I, I really, like I said, you know, I, I was a, I went to law school while pursuing. A lot of people think that I was a lawyer who became an actress, which is not exactly true because I was whilst in law school began pursuing my acting career and always did both at the same time. Um, but I always did like the law especially uh, criminal law, except it's really stressful. And people say, well, that's a dumb thing to say. Isn't being an actor really stressful? And it's like, it is, but being, being sad about not getting a job or being excited about something positive happening and it relating to you is a different muscle than like worrying about how much time somebody else is going to get or trying to make sure that every stone is unturned with their criminal case. So, you know, I, I um, I always really did love practicing law. I probably would have still practiced law if I didn't find acting coaching and realize, oh, fuck, this is so much easier. You're going <laughs> to hand me your how I met your father's sides. I'm going to tell you how to do it. And I'm never going to see you again until your next audition. Great. <laughs> it is way easier than dealing with a United States attorney. Trust me. Trust me. So, um, yeah, so I guess it's a lot of directing right now and writing, but hopefully, you know, I, I got, I had two auditions since Jury Duty came out and I, I got really close on both of them. So I'm like, all right, you know, let's see what's next. Hmm. Yeah. So as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. You just mentioned this podcast, but what do you like to do for fun and to relax? So what do I like to do for fun and relax? I, I, do, I like to do things that are active usually. I like to exercise and hike. Um, I also really enjoy um, a karaoke number or two, um, but or 12. 
but I feel like, you know, I, hanging out with my husband, my dog, my friends. Um, but I always feel like there's some kind of, you know, because I'm a writer and I'm married to a writer, it just feels like there's always a lot of some kind of working on a script or working on a beat or working on a thought or working on a character, you know, involved. I definitely think that I am a workaholic, but I also definitely have a lot of fun. I mean, um, eating, we're big, you know, foodies and, um, yeah, normal stuff. I can't, I don't have any like strange hobbies, but I guess like watching TV is like relaxing, but that's definitely not unique. I would say the most unique thing is that, you know, my husband and I will be in the middle of like a long romantic walk and it will definitely turn into, oh my God, we should change this. And da, 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 da. <laughs> like, so it's hard to unplug. Fair enough. So what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Um, well, I would say, uh, Instagram, um, I'm not on Facebook. My Instagram is just my name at Trisha LaFotch. Um, that's the same thing with my Twitter. I'm not as active on Twitter as I once were. I actually got rid of my account, but then I turned it back on, um, during jury duty because I wanted to see what people were posting, you know what I'm saying? I'm just keeping it all the way real. <laughs> like, so, um, yeah, I would say Instagram and Twitter. Okay, great. All right, Trisha, I end my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of earth? It would be the same thing that I said to myself, but it would have a cuss word in it. It would be be fucking kind. <laughs> Love it. Great answer. <laughs> Trisha, congratulations on all your success. And my listeners join me in wishing you nothing but the absolute best for your future career. Me too. And thank, thank you for coming on the show today. This has been thank a blast. You, all right. God bless. Bye. All right. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 228. I want to thank Trisha for taking the time out of her very busy schedule to come on the show. I truly loved our chat, and I really, really hope we can get her back on the show again, as that was a lot of fun. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. We drop our episodes on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for those episodes to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up today for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, please drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the Amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner at the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tea Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, I have been getting some comments from Duvall Nation lately about the lack of Derek and Mindy's fun with movies. Now, I want to tell you those comments are not being ignored. It's just that the show is currently on hiatus as she is extraordinarily busy with her professional life. If her life quietens down, we might get around to recording more of those again. Until then, you have plenty of extraordinary Derek Duvall Show content to tide you over. Nostra, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth.
this has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.